With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom and donate today. Simply go to tntradio.live. You're with Patrick Henningsen on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. We do indeed fight for freedom here on TNT. And someone else who fights for freedom is my next guest, Scott McConnell. Scott is a political analyst and co-founder of the American Conservative, which is America's premier journal of Main Street conservatism and promotes community, liberty, faith, family and peace, all of which I, for one, fully endorse. Welcome to today's News Talk, Scott. Pleasure to be here, Patrick. Well, I'm Basil, but I'm I'm sitting in for (laughs) Patrick. It's okay. Okay. I'm sitting in for Patrick on his program. That's why uh, we get get, uh, his uh, graphics and all the rest of it. Don't worry about that. Uh, So, liberty, faith, family, peace, community, all wonderful things all were at least the bedrock of the great American society uh, for most of the 20th century. But the 21st century feels very different. And is there a a candidate for president this year who you would say is running on those planks? Well, it's a very uh, painful time for not just people of our or my political sensibility, but a lot of people are unhappy with the choices. Right now, I would vote for uh, Bobby Kennedy Jr., but I don't think that he has necessarily a big chance of breaking through to be a a major contender. Uh, Trump and Biden both have obvious problems with them, which are different, but are very serious, which we could go into. But uh, uh, I, I don't recall a time when, uh, and this is true for almost everybody who follows American politics, where there's greater dissatisfaction with the, 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 the pending choices. In the UK, uh, there are these mysterious men in gray suits that particularly the Conservative Party uh, are supposed to possess grandees who, if a prime minister is particularly unpopular and looks like losing the upcoming general election, uh, the men in grey suits take a trip to Downing Street and gently but firmly tell him he's got to step down in favour of somebody else. Um, Now, I'm surprised that there is no American equivalent, or if there is, why have the men in grey suits not visited Joe Biden and told him that his time is up. There, uh, there may be an American American equivalent, and um, two months ago, those the, the people who are the equivalent of the men in gray suits uh, probably weren't as uh, it didn't seem as obvious that Biden is not up to win the men in gray suits. Uh, probably weren't as, uh, it didn't seem as obvious that Biden is not up to winning re-election or governing as it seems to now. So I don't rule out that that possibility that it could happen. Uh, there was a column written a couple of days ago by Ross Douthat, which suggested that Biden could announce before the convention that he's not running. 
and you would essentially throw the uh, the nomination process open to the convention, which was the way it used to be before the the uh, the reforms, which made uh, voters sovereign in the primary process. And that would be, I, I would say that there's a 50% chance of that happening. And uh, so I, I don't think it's foreordained that Trump or Biden will be our nominees, but it is, you know, probably more likely than anything else. I've got, I've got to take issue with you, Scott, when you said that uh, the changes to the Democratic Party constitution made voters sovereign in the primary process when, I mean, for my money, both the 2016 and 2020 primaries were rigged to prevent Bernie Sanders being the nominee. And this time round, the DNC made it perfectly clear to Robert Kennedy that it didn't matter how many votes he got, he wasn't going to be the nominee, that they were quite willing to rig it again, that they're a private company and that they will do what they like. So while I don't discount the prospect of Biden being dumped, uh, and I believe the New York Times uh, have now turned on him, uh, warning of a dark moment and running back-to-back -back opinion pieces, knifing the elderly president after the special counsel report that described him as an elderly man with uh, a forgetful man with a, a bad memory. I mean, he's 81, well past the retirement age. We have a retirement age in part because uh, it is generally accepted present company accepted, of course, uh, that uh, beyond the age of 70 or 75, one does not really function as well as a younger person. So, I mean, I, I remember when, you know, Reagan was first elected in 1980, he was 72. People thought that was too old to be president and used to laugh at his dyed hair and all the rest of it. I, I mean, an 81-year-old running uh, is really sort of off the charts. But um, if it's a 50-50 chance of them dumping Biden, uh, him basically being told he can't go on, who on earth do they get to replace him? And uh, how does the convention work, given that the primary process has been stripped out this year? There's, it's not as if there's a sort of second most popular candidate from the primaries right. to turn to. Well, there used to be... I mean, the delegates would decide. The delegates would be mostly people who were selected by Biden. Uh, I mean, were Biden delegates, but if they would make a choice based, and then who, you know, so who, who could who could mount an operation to persuade delegates? Uh, you know, clearly California Governor Gavin, Gavin Newsom would be one person. Gretchen Whitmer would be another. Kamala Harris would probably try to do it, but I think that her support would dry up pretty quickly. Uh, and I mean, this is, um, it, it's kind of mysterious. I'm not <laughs> completely sure of what I'm saying, but as I understand it, there would be delegates. Delegates used to come together and choose, that that's what party, that used to be the purposes of, of party conventions. It's uh, rather than ratifying a choice that was earlier made by voters. The uh, British bookmakers, I'm not sure about the odds compilers in Las Vegas, have the third most likely person to become the next president of the United States pinned as Michelle Obama, believe it or not. Uh, right. You will only get about seven or at most nine times 
your stake in winnings. So stick $10 on, you might get 100 back if Michel becomes president, which is an extraordinarily short price for someone who isn't even really a politician. Uh, right. You know, uh, Roger Stone said uh, a couple of months ago now that Michel would be the nominee and would be the next president. Uh, do you give any credence to those stories? I guess I do. I don't feel it myself. I mean, the logic is that it would be a return of Obama and that he would be the the president, you know, the the acting president, essentially, and um, Barack Obama. And, um, you know, I, I've heard I've always heard uh, conservatives make this point. Roger Stone. I mean, I, I think I heard Norman Bedoritz make it, you know, six or seven years ago in an interview, make this point more than I've heard liberals or Democrats do it. But it is plausible that uh, people would just transfer all the good feelings they had about the Obama presidency to Michelle. Uh, but I don't, you know, I, I actually think a, a, a practice politician, uh, Whit Whitmer or Newsom, would do better uh, in a in an open convention. I, I don't sense that there's this kind of, you know, groundswell of enthusiasm for Michelle. But I don't rule it out. We're in really. Um, uncharted waters here. I mean, what seems to be a very dangerous time in international politics and not having a, a well-functioning president. I couldn't agree more. Uh, and at a time of global crisis on so many fronts as well. Uh, the other name, of course, that's banded around is Gavin Newsom, the brill-creamed, lightly-tanned governor of California. Uh, even though his own record there is appalling, he's a smooth talker um is he the new darling of the democratic party and has he got national appeal i mean people were saying the same thing about ron DeSantis, of course who had sure. that debate with newsom a couple of months ago and apparently uh DeSantis ran rings around him but um well newsom you know, presented, so, go on yeah i think newsom presented himself pretty well i mean i think DeSantis won that debate but newsom is as you put it, a brill cream slick talker. He has been the governor of a major state. He doesn't have, uh, to my mind, a very good record as governor, but he has been reelected and he's beaten back a, a recall effort. So he's not uh, woefully unpopular. And the, so the question is, is, uh, you know, quote de mieux, he's, he's plausible. I mean, he's uh, an experienced politician of the right age with the right uh, resume. And on the Republican side, uh, Trump, you know, owns the Republican Party these days, like it or lump it. It seems that the lawfare cases against him will not be sufficient to stop him running again. But when he comes out with nonsense like encouraging Russia to attack NATO countries that aren't paying their way in NATO, I mean, really unhinged stuff, uh, you know, that just gives fodder to the, you know, anyone but Trump, Rachel Maddow's of this world, doesn't it? Uh, I mean, I know to the his supporters, it's sort of water off a duck's back and in a free and fair election. He is the person most likely to be president of the United States. But um, he presented himself last time round as the peace and prosperity candidate and said he would end the war in Ukraine within 24 hours of getting in the White House again. Uh, you know, 
what can we possibly believe about him? Is age catching up with Trump as well, Scott? Um, sure it is. Uh, maybe not. I mean, he's four years younger than Biden and uh, people age a little bit differently. I'm sure in a debate, Trump would seem uh, younger and more vigorous uh, comparatively. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know about Trump. He's he's clearly a demagogue, and yet I can see myself, you know, preferring him to Biden, as as would a lot of people, even if they think he's really bad. Mm -hmm. I don't think he could govern. Uh, I think he uh, he creates animosity among people who might even partially agree with his positions. Uh, and it's it's one of the mysterious things about how he can be so beloved and so unpopular at the same time. I, I've never seen anything like it in in my lifetime. But it's uh, yeah, no, go on. No, it's a thing in itself. It's just it's peculiar. I mean, I can see like the 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 comment you referenced about inviting Putin Putin to like you know invade uh, countries that are behind on their NATO dues. Um, it's clearly joking, but it's not joking. I mean, but he, you know, uh -huh. he has a point about NATO, I think, and uh, sometimes he he makes his points by uh, over the top jokes. Right. I mean, I I didn't take it as a joke. I suppose now you mention it, it almost certainly was a joke, um, but it's a rather irresponsible one for somebody who's planning on you know being the most supposedly at least the most powerful person in the world although it's hard to believe that biden is the most powerful person in the world i mean he's barely in charge of his own cognitive functions uh people say that obama is running the show you're in washington what was the word on the street about who is actually running what to, strikes me as being frankly uh, one of the most moribund uh, administrations in u.s history you know who's running the show and can you think of a single effective measure in the entire biden presidency just one scott give me one i think that uh, this is not entirely his doing but i think the getting getting through the COVID economy uh without and taming inflation and having a fairly credible jobs growth record and stuff is uh you know he can he can he can boast about that and it's uh not entirely off the wall um that would be that that what i would say is his 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 best thing um you know it's it's true he's i mean you would like him i mean you ask who i think is in charge i don't think it's obama but i think it's kind of people like anthony blinken and underlings ron klein ron kane or let's just forget it. i guess he's klein, gone now. he's ron klein you know ron klein who were sort yeah. of accomplished you know pretty smart center-left bureaucrats and uh and i think there's some places in his administration where he's allowed the left uh or what to me is like a far left to have more free reign than he anticipated like on on the mexican border for example and making it a de facto open border yes he certainly hasn't given the uh left much leeway when it comes to what's happening in israel and palestine um you know we've just seen hostilities renewed now uh down in rafa in the south of the strip 
Apparently, Biden and Netanyahu uh, had a phone call last night just before the Super Bowl, during which Netanyahu sort of promised to play nice, as a result of which Biden gave him the green light to murder hundreds of people in Rafa. What does Washington see as being the end game? I talked about this with uh, Trish Wood in the previous hour, and Tony Blinken is uh, still talking about pathways to peace in the months and weeks ahead, even as America continues to supply uh, Israel with weapons. It seems to me that Washington uh, is actually quite happy to go along with whatever Tel Aviv wants, even if it means contravening the ICJ rulings. Um, what is the end game? I think there's a consensus in the Biden administration um, that that they would like to use the crisis to make real steps towards a two-state solution. But uh, Netanyahu and the current Israeli government are clearly opposed to that. And uh, the Israel lobby is opposed to that. And um, it, you do get a sort of sense of Biden's uh, frailty because you might like him to see him make a speech saying, you know, there are a critical majority of both Israelis and Palestinians who would, even though it wouldn't be their first choice, like to have a two-state solution, and we're going to push hard for that. Uh, but you can't imagine Biden making that speech. I mean, he would just seem so frail, and it would immediately saying, who wrote this for him, and does he understand what he's saying, and does he have the political strength, because it would be... Uh, uh, a real battle to to go up against uh, the Netanyahu, and to to do that, um, and you know, so I mean, you now have a situation where Hamas clearly does not want a two state solution. They want the elimination of Israel, and there are there's a critical mass in the Israeli government, uh, or the majority of the current Israeli government, I'm not sure it's the critical mass of Israelis who don't want a two-state solution. So, and that's the only plausible end game, because I don't think you're going to see uh, Israel wiped out. Um, it's a state with 7 million people and nuclear weapons. And I don't think the Palestinians are just going to disappear uh, and just say, oh, well, you know, we were our ancestors were living in this land, but now we're dispersed around the world. I don't think either of those things are going to happen. In which case, what is going to happen? One has to ask. Uh, I, I know the Israelis are happy to sort of continue entrenching their apartheid. Uh, people like myself and an increasing number of commentators, including formerly liberal Zionists like Peter Beinart, are saying the only long-term solution is a single secular state for both Israelis and Palestinians covering the whole of historic Palestine between uh, the Jordan River and the Mediterranean Sea. But of course, that means the end of the Zionist project as such. But, yeah. you know, anywhere else in the world, that would be automatically accepted as the only, uh, effectively only just and lasting solution. I mean, certainly if the Israelis don't want to stay, if they don't want a Palestinian state, and the, for all the people talking about it, where exactly is it supposed to exist? It must necessitate the uprooting of thousands 
of Israeli settlements in the West Bank. Otherwise, it's not viable. It's as simple as that. So I'm not quite sure where Blinken's mythical two-state solution is going to exist. It seems that the two-state solution has just been used as a talking point to kick the can down the road endlessly. And it got kicked so far that October the 7th happened. I know the Israeli apologists like to say that Israeli October the 7th happened out of the blue, that there was somehow peace before that, uh, but there certainly wasn't before that there was apartheid, uh, and there's still apartheid. And of course, there's um, continuing uh, massacres of Palestinians in the West Bank. No American administration to date has been prepared to put the necessary pressure on the Israelis to bring a two-state solution into being. If Blinken, Biden, or anyone else is serious about a two-state solution, then very extreme pressure has to be applied to the Israelis. And I can't see that happening. I can't see it happening. I mean, there, there are two American presidents who made what I consider a serious effort. George H.W. Bush, the father uh, who off tried to cut off uh, uh, money to Israel in, unless they stopped building settlements on, on the West Bank, and Obama. And I think it's one of the great tragedies that uh, when Obama in his first term, I think, was was really pushing towards, you know, stopping settlements and moving towards a two-state solution. And there was no, I mean, now you have, the, you know, support in the streets for the Palestinian cause all over the world. You know, Obama had nothing of that in his favors. And it's, I found it a little, I mean, it's, I think it's sad that you have, you know, as soon as there's an atrocity in war, you had all this outburst of pro-Palestinian stuff. But when there was a, a relatively a peaceful Palestinian entity that wanted to become a state that would have uh, coexisted, I think, quite well besides Israel, there was no uh, support by the left in the streets for it, which I think would have been a, you know, a nice countermeasure, a nice counterpoint against uh uh, Bibi Netanyahu and uh, the Israel lobby. Yeah, I, you make a very good point. Um, people tend to forget that John Kerry made innumerable trips to the region uh, to try and secure a peace deal. I mean, he put an awful lot of time and energy into it. And at the end of the day, it was Israeli intransigence uh, that saw it uh, go in the bin. Um, you're right. right at that time of course the, you, you know when kerry was making all these these efforts uh the whole palestine question was much much lower down the news agenda and people's priorities um but i think what israel has done over the last few months is really galvanized public opinion and not in the way it expected particularly amongst a whole new generation of young jewish activists um who are no longer as sort of emotionally and tribally tied to Israel as their parents. Finally, uh, Scott, I'd like to ask you, um, you know, it is a low point in American politics, but uh, what, you know, what's your vision as a, an old fashioned conservative, if you don't mind me saying so, uh, for the future? And uh, what kind of political change do we need to see for the United States to move away from the endless warmongering neoliberal neocon axis uh, towards uh, the society of peace, liberty, community, 
and all the other things that we both believe in. I think it, you know, it, it's not happening. It's not happening easily, but I think it's, um, there is a, um, maybe a majority among active Republicans who are closer to this vision than they were when we started the magazine in 2002. You, you, the, the idea that um, neoliberalism is a little bankrupt and the United States should not be involved in wars all over the world used to be a really uh, marginal position within the Republican Party. Now it's not. So my hope is that um, somehow, some way, some capable Republican will rule in a kind of center-right way that takes into, you know, takes into account the the failures of American foreign policy through excessive intervention. And, uh, you know, I mean, maybe it's Glenn Youngkin, maybe it's uh, DeSantis, uh, whom I supported, or maybe it's someone whose name we don't know. But I think it could happen. And I think there's a critical mass within the Republican Party that uh, would welcome such a possibility. It's certainly not Nikki Haley. Um, it's not Nikki Haley. And uh, I can't understand how she's managed to sort of position herself as number two almost of Trump in the Republican Party, given that, you know, her positions on almost everything are diametrically opposed to his. Uh, yeah. And she doesn't really have any natural constituency amongst the American people either. She really has been sort of manipulated into that position by big money neocons, uh, for, for want of a better expression. Well, that's a faction within the Republican Party, and she was able to consolidate it, which is why she was able to end up as number two. I mean, she represents, you know, sort of what John McCain and George W. Bush in the first part of his term and Cheney does, and that is a faction. It has a fair amount of money, and it's, you know, not dominant in the party anymore, but it's dominant enough to uh, kind of consolidate behind her but i you know she's yes a disaster in almost every way well, i'm glad we agree on that 100 percent. and uh, should trump be fool enough to pick him her as his vp uh, he might find himself uh replicating poor old john f kennedy who for my money was the last decent president of the united states although i would give a nod to Nixon, Reagan and Carter. <laughs> uh, thank you very much for joining us, Scott. Uh, your website is? Uh, TheAmericanConservative.com. I don't have a, I have a Twitter account, uh, Scott McConnell nine, but uh, I don't have my, I don't have my own personal website, but That's I okay. write. You write, go on, you write for. Uh, for you the AmericanConservative.com, yeah. Very good. Well, that's where we can find more of Scott McConnell. Thank you very much indeed for joining us today on The Patrick Kennington Show. Thank you, Basil, for having me. Been a pleasure. There he goes, uh, Scott McConnell. We're going to take a very short break now. And when we come back, we'll be joined by our own Pelly Neroth-Taylor. And we'll be asking... Tucker continuing his Putin PR tour in Dubai. Is Tucker now just a stenographer for the Russian leader or has he got a point? We'll be right back. These messages. TNT's Jeremy Nell. Nice comment here from Rebecca. She says the youngest people 
um, I work with are a bit more mature, but their interactions with the public is stifled. And she's referring to the excessive use of cell phones and social media and how it's making them so antisocial also. The business is open six days a week. One of his staff members formally requested that they shouldn't, you know, that they could they be given permission not to have to work on Wednesdays so that they could help at the dog shelter. Now, as you know, I'm a dog lover. I have hunting dogs. I've got dogs coming out of my ears, my Malinois. And this dog, this Malinois, is bright even by Malinois standards. She can do crossword puzzles. Is lying under my desk at the moment, feeling sorry for herself because she's just come on heat for the first time and she's completely bewildered. She doesn't know why she's bleeding to death. It's not about whether it's a good or a bad thing to work at animal shelters. That's a delightful thing. It's a noble thing to do. But who in their right mind goes to their boss and says, would you mind? I'd rather not work on Wednesdays if it's okay because I've got other priorities in a, in a town down the road. Jeremy now on today's News Talk TNT. Affordable housing, we can build that. Sustainable housing, we can build that. At MIT Modular, we understand the importance of housing for all and the importance of design, cost, and functionality. Our goal is to meet the needs of our growing population by converting shipping containers to livable units. If you're like-minded and in a position to invest in something meaningful and life-changing, we want to hear from you. We are a team of professional architects, engineers, and financial and tax experts dedicated to offering unique solutions that provide a brighter future. Our Opportunity Zone Fund offers investors both real estate and operating business diversification, five-year tax deferral on capital gains, annual tax benefits, and ultimately tax-free appreciation potential. There are Opportunity Zones all over America. If you're interested in learning more about our services, need affordable housing, or want to participate in creating a new vision for tomorrow, give us a call in the U.S. on 385-985-5702 or read more at MITModular.com. MIT Modular. We can build that. The human mind is like a computer, no matter how efficient it may be. Its reliability is only as great as the information fed into it. That's a campaign promise. Tell us the truth. Tell us the truth. We mandate that the truth be told. You're hearing it. TNT. And welcome back to TNT with me, Basil Valentine, sitting in for Patrick Henningsen. Today, February the 12th, 2024. Tucker Carlson went to the Kremlin and had a long chat with none other than Vladimir Putin, but according to Boris Johnson, Putin's interview with Tucker Carlson was straight out of Hitler's playbook. Mm. According to Boris Johnson, Putin's interview with Tucker Carlson was straight out of Hitler's playbook. I pray Americans see through this unholy charade. Well, Johnson would say that. Uh, and used some absolutely dreadful language in his fawning, guffawing, slack-jawed happiness and having a scoop, he betrayed his viewers and listeners around the world. Well, Johnson did a lot more than betray a few viewers and listeners. Johnson betrayed the Ukrainian and Russian people to the tune of hundreds of thousands dead. Now Tucker is in Dubai and continues to be accused of doing a PR job 
on behalf of the Russian president. I'm delighted to say I'm joined by TNT's own Pele Neroth Taylor to discuss this and other global machinations in the final segment of the Patrick Henningsen Show. Today with me, Basil Valentine, sitting in for Patrick. Welcome to the programme, Pelly. Great that you could join us. Thank you very much. Delighted to be here. Yeah, I, I saw that um, Tucker Carlson's been to Dubai. Um, everyone thought he was going to go back to the States, just comfortable Virginia house where he has most of his shows. Um, but obviously <laughs> he took a detour from Belgrade Airport and went down to, whizzed off to Dubai. Um, I saw this on RT, actually. I always find art, you have to watch RT and Sputnik and the Chinese uh, Global Times and Press TV and um, and Al Jazeera because we're living in a global world and we have to follow all the perspectives. And I, d I didn't see it in the UK media, of course. So Tucker, is, um, uh, it's interesting. Well, he says, you know, Putin wants peace. Putin wants to end the Ukraine conflict, blah, 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 blah. He said that in a speech. The Russian leader's position is hardening with the day. He says that to sort of give us all a deadline because if we don't do it now, it'll be too late. But the interesting thing is that RT, Russia Today, which is banned in most of Europe, are headlining that. And they in, in, in red letter, in, in black letters and red background, which they usually have for sort of nuclear strikes type <laughs> headlines. No, what it means is that they obviously want to prioritize this and make it very clear that they're behind this you know i mean that's really what putin is saying and thinking because otherwise rt's editor margaret simonian wouldn't have uh, gone along with it uh, allowed that headline to appear if kremlin were not along with it i don't think so you know the, the i guess obviously the the, the um, russians are trying to capitalize on what they see as a make they're making headway into the the brainwashed west's uh, public opinion and they're trying to make hay uh, for as long as that lasts. And so, I mean, I, I don't think there's any any mystery about this. I think the, the Russians do want a, a peace deal, but obviously it's going to have to be on somehow on the Russians' terms. You know, they can probably keep the four oblasts that they've occupied, which contain mostly Russian speakers. And obviously Crimea is non-negotiable. And I don't think, I, I I never thought that they were going to take Odessa. A lot of commentators thought they were going to take Odessa and Kharkov. I think that, that I really don't think... Uh, Putin is that aggressive. I mean, I think they. Uh, I think one of the the tragedies about this war, I'm not a military guy, but I mean, is that the Russians have been going slow all this time, partly because they don't want to decimate the already decimated Slavic populations of Eastern Europe. You know, I mean, that's the thing that w irritates me because the the Brits and the Americans are going to win either way. Either they destroy the Slavic young malehood if the war continues, or I mean, you know, it's it's terrible. And the Russians are aware of this. They, they want to kill off all the Ukrainian males. But what's happening is I don't think they, they're, I think they're slow peddling this. But of course, as soon as they do that, you have the neocons in Washington and London saying, look, the Russians are really weak. Or look, the Russians are cowards. Or look, the Russians can't do anything. And of course, taunting the Russians to go further than they've done. I think the Russians are going slow. And I think they want a peace deal. But one that doesn't humiliate them and, and you know, I mean, whatever. So... I think it's very interesting that Tucker obviously hasn't coordinated. I don't think he's got enough integrity not to sort of coordinate it with Putin or whatever. But I think, and I think he's speaking his honest opinion. I think that the, the vibes he's been getting from whatever cock-ups he made during the interview itself, you know, everyone said he wasn't too clued up on 13th century Russian history. I think he's he's understood the messages. And obviously he's been speaking, he's probably spoken to the entire top leadership in Russia behind the scenes. And they've probably been quite welcoming and quite honest and so he's almost like an emissary between East and West now and uh, telling everyone. Yes. 
Yes, he certainly is. Uh, he was speaking uh, today at the World Government Summit. Who knew such a thing was going on, Pelly? And if Tucker yeah, exactly. been there, I don't think I don't think I'd have known that there was a World Government Summit in Dubai. Um, uh, and the Daily Mail is captioning his photograph uh, with the words, the former Fox News host, uh, as if speaking on behalf of Vladimir Putin, said that the Russian leader is willing to compromise on Ukraine, adding that he had had an off-the-record chat with Putin while in the Russian capital. So, mm. yes, he is effectively a kind of emissary. You're right. And it's just as well that he is, frankly. Of course. I think, I mean, it's been done in the past. I just, I can only quote one example from the top of my head, but I know that um, a lot of uh, journalists went down to Cuba in 1961, 62 or whatever and talked to um, Castro about a piece there. And I'm sure there have been many other cases that where journalists act as, as diplomats and why not? I mean, you know, um, and as long as uh, I think that he's uh, trusted, he's obviously trusted very much. I mean, the, the Russians know that he's trusted by Trump. I mean, Trump Jr., who's uh, yes. playing an increasingly prominent role, and you know, what's and then Melania, the wife, they're both great fans of Tucker Carlson. I think Trump is maybe a bit more cautious, but you might think you have to. I have to take on the the uh, Nikki Haley's of this world inside my tent. I think he's making a wrong misjudgment. But obviously, people very close to Trump are saying. Listen to Tucker, take on Tucker, 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 Tucker. So Putin knows that Tucker is a, a trustworthy type on the, for the Republican populist movement. And uh, he's obviously trying to reach out there, you know. And um, I saw someone yes, I mean, on Tucker, Twitter. Sorry, yeah. Well, Tucker's enormously popular. I mean, his show was far and away the most popular on uh, cable news when it was on. Mm. And this interview has had 200 million views or something, you know, numbers yeah. that CNN and Fox can only dream of. Um, yeah, I that's think right. my favorite. I think my favorite quote, this is uh, Tucker speaking in Dubai earlier today, says, uh, what was shocking for me was the city of Moscow, where I had never been, the biggest city in Europe, 30 million people. It's so much nicer than any city in my country. I had no idea. It's so much cleaner and safer and prettier mm. aesthetically. It's architecture, food and services better than any in the United States. And this mm. is not ideological. How did mm. that happen? He asked. I mean, I think that's great stuff. I've never been to Moscow. I mean, have, He's probably right. I've been to you never, have, you never, have you been to Moscow? No, I haven't. No. Okay. Well, I mean, it, it's um, that's interesting that he's saying that because I was um, last in Moscow in the year 2000. And before that, I was there quite a lot in 92, 91, 93, 94. And there it was. I mean, it was a place it wasn't particularly pretty i thought so it must have prettified considerably i mean there's a lot of really especially around the center no commercial activity all these huge buildings like hotels and office buildings on just off the manage square and near the kremlin the red square itself was beautiful um but it, it seems to i mean tucker i trust but because i you always wonder when you watch these youtube videos if it's some, some i mean you always have this um these bolts these Baltic Russophobes hanging over you with their claims that, oh, you're the new Walter Durante. I mean, Walter Durante was this guy who said, 
oh, Stalin's a wonderful guy when, you know, the, the uh, Ukrainian famine was going on. So every time somebody says anything nice about the Russians, some Baltic Russophobe will always tell you that you're a useful idiot of the Russians or Russian propaganda's got to your head, you know. And, and maybe this shopping center is only like one shopping center in the entire country that they, sh they show all foreign visitors to, you know. Maybe the guests, are, maybe the visitors are kind of paid extras like mannequins, you know, walking around and... No, but apparently, so if Tucker says so, these videos that show a, a, a really prosperous city with enormous shopping centers and enormous, enormously anything that you could see in the West, whatever, uh, with really elegant, expensive shops and uh, hypermarkets and Starbucks-like cafes and every, anything that you'd see in the West, except they don't, a lot of the Western brand names have been swapped out for Russian brand names. Um but some of the Western brand names are still there, a lot of them actually. And then you see, go. somebody says, I'll go into a supermarket in, in um, you know, Yekaterinoslav or something like that, or whatever, small town, and it's just as elegant as in Moscow. So you think, well, may maybe, are we being bluffed? Or maybe really, maybe Russia, that's what Putin's done. He's turned it from a, a country, when I went there in the early 1990s, where the supermarkets were literally empty, literally empty, nothing. The cars, were like these old Gigulis and Moscovich, you know, from the, I mean, it was like a joke country um, where um, where you sort of put your foot down. I mean, the cars seemed to be made of cardboard. Uh, the Russians were smelly and badly dressed, you know, because they couldn't afford deodorant <laughs> and, the, and the trousers were all ripped. And if you had, a, if you sold a pair of Western jeans, you know, you could live on that for a week. I remember I traveled, <coughs> tell me if I'm talking too much, but I remember I was. I, no, I, 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 I remember actually even as, uh, as early as the late 80s, I never did so. But uh, a chap I knew said that you could make a fortune by simply filling a van with Western goods and driving it into Eastern Europe after the wall yeah. had come down, yeah. but before Eastern Europe had been commercially incentivized and, and brought up to seed space, so to speak. Uh, and you, if, if you went to Russia with fresh bananas and jeans, uh, a van right. load of bananas and jeans, you, you could make an absolute fortune, which seems ridiculous. Um, well, Tucker, yeah. go on, but it was 30, that was over 30 years ago now, Penny, we forget that. 1994 was 30 years ago. Exactly. And I think, I mean, I said, I, I said this on other shows. I mean, I, even I, I'm, I'm, uh, haven't, and I'm not up to speed on that. Even I was surprised, even though I'm much more open to the fact that Russia's changed. I, I, I know some of the old agency, British intelligence, hacks, journalists, all that swamp, they're still stuck in the old picture of Russia because some of them have been banned from coming to Russia for 20 or 30 years. So they still think it's the Soviet Union and they still think it's a place where, I remember you could, the only thing they had in the shops was Russian champagne because it was too expensive for the Russians. But when, if you changed your money on the black market, it cost about 10p or something. And you could travel across, I traveled on the Trans-Siberian by selling a t-shirt. I mean, it was ridiculous. A Western t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> because you got this extraordinary exchange rate if you changed it to rubles on the black market. Uh, it's ridiculous times. So you felt like a king, you know, and um, and the Russians were very sort of, and it was a country on the verge of collapse and there were shootings and very high rate of gangsterism and prostitutes and women were kind of running after any Western man. And I think that um, many, um, it was like a, a sort of Tarkovsky film. There's a film called Stalker, which shows this, country in an industrial ruin, scientific dystopian hellhole. That's what Russia looked like in 93. And I think many uh, Western people, Western intelligence assets, journalists thought, well, that's maybe still Russia, but 
if Tucker says it's changed completely, well, I, I'll go with that picture. I mean, well, the know. irony, of course, is that that uh, crumbling post-industrial dystopian world applies more to the United States than anywhere else. That's right. Uh, That's you right. know, with the fentanyl zombies wandering around, the record homelessness uh, and all the rest of it. Uh, and indeed, Tucker put the boot in. This is why uh, he's so reviled by so many sort of so-called liberal commentators in the United States because he talks the truth. He started comparing the subway in New York City to parts of the Russian capital. He said, if you can't use the subway, which many people point out in connection with New York because it's too dangerous there, then you start to wonder what the purpose of leadership is. He yeah. told the crowd in the United Arab Emirates that the longer the war drags on, the less incentive Putin has to reach an agreement. He said, first things first, Putin wants to get out of this war. Russia's industrial potential is a lot more profound than we thought it was. Russia is having a pretty easy time making missiles, rockets and artillery shells, whereas NATO doesn't. And he also said that based on the pair's discussion, he believes that Putin is now prepared to come to a compromise with Zelensky. Mm. God, well, I hope I, I said I saw um, <clears throat> was it on TASS or something that um, Peskov, the mustachioed spokesman for Putin, um, said, you know, I, well, I hope this news reaches uh, Sunak and Schultz. So it seems that if it's true that the Russians think that the, the, the Brits and American Brits and Germans are surrounded by Whitehall figures who feed lies and myths into the uh, heads of the their leadership, that they're, they're not getting this. So maybe they're hoping that the, that uh, Sunak switches on Twitter when he comes back home from a tired day, tiring day, and, and sees all these truth bombs being dropped, you know, and saying, well, hell, maybe he really wants peace. Let's go for it. Because I think that P Sunak is resistant. I mean, I think there are people in Whitehall who really want to war on Russia. They want to double down because Absolutely. they know if the truth comes out, <laughs> their reputation will, will be as damaged as the after the Iraq war, you know. I mean, it's going to be an Iraq war sort of total destruction of uh, of the West's uh, military political reputation, you know, for doing well, things. Well, you know, personally, I, th I, I don't think anyone who supported the Iraq war has any place in public life. And yeah. for that matter, uh, no one in the deep state, the State Department, the UK Foreign Office, Ministry of Defence, or any of it should ever have been in public life after that disaster. But instead, yeah. most of them were promoted one way or another. And uh, the deep state in both the United States and the United Kingdom, as well as basically needs to be filleted. You know, uh, yeah. we, we needed a, a political overhaul to That's get right. rid of these warmongers That's once right. and for all, or we are all doomed. Now, exactly. I'm going to ask we... you, go on quickly. Is Alexander we, we need to be told, a warmonger? Bucha was a lie, probably 50%. Uh, the, the maybe MH117 was a lie. The Syrian war was a lie. The uh, coup in it was in 2014 was a lie. Uh, the uh, you know there five or six Skripal was possibly a lie. The Brits have served up eight or nine lies on the world, and they have to pay the price for this. It's like and and it's slowly. I've seen. I saw every time. Uh, they did served up one of these lies with the accompanying articles about World War Three in the Daily Mail and the Sun, Putin's missile, that sort of thing. You know, we've been edging closer to World War Three. Stop that. Absolutely. We've got to back away and hold these people to account because they're pushing us to destruction. I, I couldn't agree with you more. And of course, the problem mm. is that 
policy is made on the back of these lies yeah, you know yeah. uh that you know they are allowed to stand and they build on each other to create entirely phony scenarios which yeah. put everyone in danger very quickly right. we've only got two minutes before we go okay is alexander stubb a warmonger the I'm afraid so. Right former Prime Minister I, I, of Finland. I worry that he is. I, I, I knew him, knew about him in Brussels when I was based there, and I thought he was a complete buffoon, actually. But maybe he's changed. Yeah. Maybe that was just because it was the European Parliament and he knew he could act up. But I worry. He's he's quite close to the Swedish more warmongers that I know of. So I worry that Scandinavia will become a new point of pressure, especially Finland with its long border on Russia, and the, the, the sovereign bases that the US has access to there. They could cause trouble there for sure. I, I do worry. Uh, Finland and Russia had very good relations until I know. until yeah, Finland I know. was effectively pushed into NATO. Yeah, it was under the Spice Girls government. Five women under thirty or whatever. Very pretty, but no. I mean, it was terrible. Uh, I'm not. I'm still not what sure. I'm still not sure what went on behind the scenes there. But the Finns left behind a very prosperous, successful relationship of balancing east and west the same relationship that ukraine should have had and can have and yes. uh, and it prospered mightily if you went to soviet union everything was finnish everything that worked was made in finland and the fin finnish economy took a big boost it's, it's always a wise thing to have good relationships with your neighbors why not i mean well I, I, absolutely so, um, yeah. so but they've uh, abandoned that for some reason i don't know why uh, and the swedes I, of course yeah. as well yeah no absolutely uh, is the president uh a ceremonial position like the irish president or I, is it I more like not. the american I, president no i fear he has a, a, a responsibility of a foreign policy and he has, right. i don't know i think uh, he's a uh, i mean i'll read up on it and follow of course you can't read the finnish mainstream media because they won't report what's really going on but i'll i'll find out from my sources what what they say but i know he's quite close to carl bilt who was the the man the mastermind behind sweden's uh, nato campaign so well he said uh, we must remember that one of the president's main tasks is to ensure finland promotes peace and i will do that as president so maybe well, he maybe, has yeah. changed but you know or maybe he's a liar yeah we'll yeah, find yeah. out soon enough pelly exactly, yeah. taylor thank you thank so you much, much for joining us and when can we see you next on tnt uh, well, tomorrow at noon, GMT, one o'clock European time in my usual weekday show every day, five days a week. Uh, so catch up with me then and Basil as well. Yep, I'll be there doing my news editor slot. Great, Great that you could much. join us today. I'm Basil Thanks. Valentine. I've been sitting in for Patrick Henningsen, who will be back tomorrow live and direct from Acapulco. Yes, some people have all the luck. We will see you again very soon. <laughs>